You know, we worship on Sunday because Jesus is alive. And celebration is one of the key words in our worship service. As long as I'm here, that's going to be a key word. I like to celebrate. I like to party. So, uh, hallelujah, this was good. Some of our young people are going to help me out. You've written out that post-it note and answered the question, right? Let me see it. I want to see those things uh, in the air. Just wave them around. We're going to have a wave offering here. Oh, look at this. In a Baptist church, astonishing. I, I see about half of you didn't do it. The question is, what is the business of the church? Some folks over here, if you get up and about four or five of you just go out there, collect all these up, and then bring them up and sit out on the front row, if you would. I'm going to use you some more here. Um, so go ahead. We need some folks up this aisle, just uh, several helpers. Thanks. What is the business of the church? If you really want to know the answer to a question, one place to go is a barber shop or a hair salon. And uh, my son is a hairstylist. And so I called him up this week and said, Nate, I need a survey. Now, I understand these things aren't scientific, but I think they have a lot to say, actually. And I said, as, you, as your clients come through, I'd like to, you to ask them the question, what is the business of the church? And so he did. And he said, Dad, basically I've got four or five responses. He kind of categorized these into these responses. And I'll pass these on to you as uh, their answers. In my ideal world, maybe someday... We'll actually have somebody that does a camera. What would really be good is to interview these people and show them on camera, but lacking that uh, ability right now. First of all, one group was a group of people who said, I grew up in church. I no longer go to church. I have children. I wish my children would go to church. And he said, why? And he said, well, they need to learn what the church has to say, especially the moral values. So if you guys will sit down right here, just, whoa, 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 you're not done. Just grab a handful and say, you need to have that handful you collected or somebody else's, doesn't matter. Just sit down here and uh, don't be nervous. Um, anyhow, he said this was a group of people who grew up in the church. They no longer went. They had children. They thought their kids should go to church, and they'd like for somebody to take them. And Nate said, well, why don't you take them? They said, that'd be a good idea, but I haven't done it. So this was a group that valued church for their children, not themselves. Another group of people, in fact, one this was just one person, but one of the people he asked was a brand-new Christian, and he said, what is the purpose of the church? And he said, the purpose of the church is to tell people about Jesus. Another group of people that he asked um, were who, people who went to church regularly, and they said, I think the purpose of the church is, and several said this, it's for fellowship and to kind of help me out. That was the purpose in their view. I go there to see my friends, to fellowship with them, and it's, they're going to help me. Another group uh, said, I don't attend church, and I don't see any, why anybody would. And in this group, they really said, the church is irrelevant. The church doesn't matter. And it, within that group, one person said to him, why would I go to church? More people have died over God than over all the world wars. And then he began to talk about Iraq. Another per person said, I wouldn't go to church. And then he talked about the Catholic Church and the problem they've had with priests. And so this was a group that just said the church is of no value. Um, the last, I think this was one person, might have been more than one, but the last comment he said was one from a gay cl uh, client who was gay. And here's what this man said, and Nate's known him for a long time. He came and he, he grew up in the South, so one would assume he's been to church, now here in California. And his gay client said the church should help people develop their spiritual lives and welcome everyone. So that's kind of a random sample of certain folks in Santa Clarita Valley who had that to say about the church. Now, come on up here, guys. I want you to grab a couple of those and help us out. Matthew, we'll start with you. You've been a good sport. Just read the first two or three off there. 
First one I have here is the business of the church is to worship God, to bring people to Jesus Christ, and to disciple the believers to be followers of Jesus Christ. Here's a short one. What is the business of the church? To bring people to Christ. Or similarly, to win souls to Christ. Here's a short one. Promoting the kingdom of God. Come on up. Next. We'll pick out maybe three. So we have to worship Jesus and enjoy his presence, will, and love. To preach the word from the Bible, not from books or magazines. To reach out to the lost and church members. And the business of the church is to prepare believers to proclaim God's words. To reach non-believers through worship and fellowship. Alright, we have um, spreading God's love and word. Um, to teach and spread the word of Jesus, Jesus and God. And a short one, people. Okay. Thanks. Business in the church is people. All right. Number one, um, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to to worship God. Um, go out and minister passion, and to welcome all to the family of Christ and to minister to them through the activities of the church. All right. Do we have? Yeah, Michael. One, three more here. Number one, to reach people for Christ. Number two, to praise God, worship, and learn more about God. Three, keeping us united and to help others believe in Jesus and themselves. Very good. Thank you for your help. Give these folks a round of applause. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, if you want to sit over there, you can, you can get away from me now. I would like to press that question on you today. What is the purpose of the church? And, I, of course, there are are many scriptures we could go to to answer this question. I want to look at only two today. We're studying through the Gospel of Mark, and so it makes sense that we as the church and followers of Jesus Christ ought to ask Jesus what he says about the church. We, first of all, should look to Jesus. And we're studying through the Gospel of Mark between now and Easter, so I want to go to Mark chapter 6, first of all, to look at this question and just to keep it in our mind as we look at a certain passage. Now, before we be, uh, get to Mark chapter 6, I want to start in Mark chapter 1. The, the Gospel of Mark opens with these words. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want to underscore a couple words. This is the beginning of the good news, good news I would underscore, about Jesus Christ, Son of God. That's important. Now, as you go through those early verses, in verse 14, we read these words. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming or preaching what? The good news or the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. And so at the very outset of this story about Jesus, we hear about Jesus and good news. Now, as you flip through the chapters, they're filled with either the teachings of Jesus or Jesus' miracles, Jesus casting out demons, Jesus calling people to follow him. And as we come up now to chapter 6, listen as I read from chapter 6, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, he left that place and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he, Jesus, began to preach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. 
Let me stop. Jesus went to his home church, so to speak. He went to where he grew up. He was with those folks who knew him from childhood. And there he began to speak. And as Jesus spoke, everyone in the room realized, whoa, what happened to Jesus? He spoke with a charisma, a giftedness, a sense of God's anointing on him that, it says, shocked them. They were astonished. They were astounded. There was something special and unique about Jesus, and now they saw it. It goes on to say, they asked the question, where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters and brothers with us? And they took offense. Now, Another way to put this is, as they heard him speak, they scratched their heads and said, Isn't this guy the carpenter? This is Mary and Joe's boy. Where did he learn this stuff? He didn't go off to Harvard. And they were astonished. And the unique thing they said, you would think they'd say, Wow, this is great. He's one of us and he's doing well. And instead they said, He's too big for his britches. Who does he think he is? He's just a carpenter. It's just Joe's boy. And he acts like this. And so that's the backdrop now to we come to the passage in uh, this next paragraph. It says this. Then he, Jesus, went among... Well, first of all, it says at the end of that story that Jesus couldn't do a lot of miracles there. And it says he was amazed at their unbelief. Wow. Rather sad. Now we start in the next verse, in the middle of verse 6. Then he went among... Uh, Then Jesus went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, as we ask what is the business of the church, I've highlighted some indicators. And if you care to write those in the fill in the blank, we'll be looking at those. As Jesus um, began to go out from his hometown in the villages preaching, teaching, and doing miracles, uh, the first indicator I would, would put in here is that Jesus calls and sends. In fact, one person said, you could outline the book of Mark, the first five verses, Jesus calls. He's asking people to follow him. The second part, Jesus sends them out. And so, it's just significant to note that as he called these twelve, the apostles, who were going to be the foundation of the church, he called them to himself. They hadn't been around very long. Now he sends them out two by two for safety, for teaching, for mentoring one another. And it's a great lesson to the church that we've so often forgotten. In fact, as a young person, I really was not to uh, follow this at all. Don't ever do ministry by yourself. Take somebody with you. If you're, if you're in charge of cooking a meal, get somebody to help you cook. If you've got to go see somebody, call up somebody and take them with you. Do it two by two or more. It's frequent that Jesus sent out people by two by, in, two, in twos or by groups. So first of all, the indicator is Jesus calls and sends. Secondly, there is a sense of urgency. In verse 8, he says, Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. And then in verse 10, he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave it. If any place will not welcome you, then refuse, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake, the dust, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, the sense of urgency. There was an important message at least according to Jesus. The time was short. The kingdom of God was here. Something needed to be done. Go! 
And the point is, they didn't have time to fuss about, you know, they spent a night there and they said, you know, it's really noisy here. Let's find another place to stay. She said, you don't have time for that. You don't like the food, so what? You don't have time to worry about what you're going to eat. Preach the message. Do what I've sent you to do. Don't worry about these other details that are only going to attract from your ability to get the word out quickly. And so there's this sense of urgency. Not only that, he tells them something that kind of glides by us. It would have been upsetting to them. Because he says, if you go to a town and they don't receive you, some group won't receive you, just shake off the dust from your clothes and your shoes and go on. And that's an old Jewish expression that apparently the, the Jews would be like in a Gentile town or area. And when they left, they said, well, you know, we were with those filthy Gentiles and we kind of, we've got to get clean now. You, you, you know what I mean? It's like they felt contaminated. So they would shake off the dust, really, which was a judgment against you you pagan Gentiles, you're unclean. Now, as Jesus' disciples went forth, they weren't with Gentiles at all. They were with Jews, and they're shaking the dust off on those Jews who would not believe Jesus or the message of the good news that God had come. And so he sends them out with a great sense of urgency. And so as we think of the business of the church, we see that these founding fathers, if you will, were sent out. They were called and sent. There was a sense of urgency. And then thirdly, Jesus takes a risk. And the disciples took a risk. There's a sense of risk involved in this passage. Um, these men had not followed Jesus very long. A short time. Not years, but months and weeks. Now, that's interesting because what Jesus does is he immediately sends them out. He calls them to himself. They observe him a while. He sends them out. In chapter 4, verse 10, it's obvious these guys don't even understand his teaching. The Bible says so. They don't get it. In a later passage, where there's a storm in chapter 4, verse 38, they're so terrified they think they're going to drown, which means they have almost total lack of faith in Jesus to save them in a tough spot. And yet, even though with weak faith, he sends them out to risk. Thirdly, these men are not sensitive to the extraordinary power and perception of Jesus. Still, he sends them out. And so Jesus takes a risk, and they take a risk as well. And then finally, what do they actually do? In uh, the end of this paragraph, verses 11, 12, 13, Jesus sends them out to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal. Now, is it fair to say that as Jesus started his ministry, he did certain things. He left a lot undone. But he, he preached, he taught, he cast out demons, he did miracles with the power of God. Is it safe to say that the disciples were then sent out to do what Jesus did? That's, that's what you get from the sense of this passage. They're sent out to do what Jesus did. Now, I need to get to a book here. Let me... Whoops. Sorry, Ted. Um, I want to read to you uh, a passage that kind of summarizes this, what we're talking about today. And forgive me balancing the microphone in the book. We're thinking about this idea of, of risk and of urgency and of this passage and what, what did Jesus do and then what did these guys do? And I want to emphasize how new they were in the faith, so to speak. These are novices. These, we think of the apostles, oh, they knew so much. Not at this point. They've only followed Jesus a short time, yet he sends them out. Uh, Donald English, in his uh, writings about Mark, says, the implication of this act of Jesus is that no amount of hearing, teaching, or observing miracles, or of even, even being with Jesus, is enough. These, 
men, apostles, must risk themselves in dependence on the gospel and the power that accompanies the gospel. And they risk it by going out. Now listen carefully to this paragraph. This truth applies at different levels. In the individual experience, too many Christians today have few, if any, non-Christian friends. We spend our days, whenever the choice is ours, with believers. As a result, we rarely put the gospel to the test, as the disciples were having to do. We go for safety in faith while trying to follow a Lord who risked himself in incarnation and all that followed it. We build up our security while serving the Lord who went by death to resurrection. The result is a narrowing of the power of the gospel and of our perception of its possibilities. Our plea that we need more training is met by the simple observation that the disciples needed more training, much more training, yet they were sent out and they were effective. And he concludes this chapter by saying a safe church is rarely an influential one. Wow. I hope you heard what he said. But but what we're emphasizing here, as Jesus sent these people out, they took a risk. There was a sense of urgency. Now, I was reflecting on this in my own life, in my own journey. And it's true that we can study a great deal and gain a lot of knowledge from the Bible, but it's only when we go out on some kind of mission, when we seem to venture out and do what God calls us to do, that we begin to depend on, is God really there for me? Does this stuff work? Will God really provide? I was thinking in my own pilgrimage, when I got out of college, I realized uh, I was in no shape to go minister uh, in any sort of uh, full-time way, and so I said, I need to go to seminary. And Joyce and I left the safety and security of Dallas, Texas, and traveled a thousand miles in a Plymouth and a Saab, very old ones. Those are cars, by the way, Plymouths, you know, they used to be a car. Um, took those two cars and our two kids, and we traveled to Chicago. We had $1,000 in our pocket. We didn't know a soul there. It was in the dead of winter in January when we got there to start school that I'd been to once for a few weeks. Tried to find it. We, we lost a third of our money, didn't lose it. We spent a third of our money in apartment rentals just trying to find a place to live. Well, when you're in those kinds of circumstances, there is a sense of risk. There's also a sense of adventure. But you begin to depend on God. You pray a lot. And you say, Lord, help me. And God does. And it's amazing. And you look back and say, wow, wow, this is pretty encouraging. But you don't learn those things by hearing me talk about them. You learn them by venturing out on the risks God calls you to take as a follower of Christ. And if you don't take those risks, you don't have those learnings. And so as we ask the question, what is the business of the church, we see that the church was involved, these founders of the church, the apostles, the foundation, they were involved with this sense of urgency going out and continuing to do what Jesus did. Now I want to look at one other passage very quickly. And this is our theme passage for the... Uh, this year, 2006. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and the paragraph that's around verse 22. Paul said, and this is our theme verse, I've become all things to all people that by all possible means I might win some. And that's our theme. Now, as Paul said that, he, it's in a much larger context, but I want to pull some indicators out of this passage as well. And the first is this. Paul's passion was to win people, to win people. It's not that 
he's in a contest or a race in a sense. He's winning people to the gospel message, the good news of Christ. He wants folks to accept that message. He wants to persuade them. And five times in a couple of verses here, he uses this word win. Let me, uh, let me give you an example. In verse 19, Paul says, Though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win some or more of them. Verse 20. Now, if you were a uh, liberal Christian in Paul's day, you would have blanched at this statement. You would have raised the flag and declared war on Paul for saying this. You would say, Paul, that's not right. Don't say that. Listen to what he says. Verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law so that I might win those under the law. And I can just hear liberal Christians saying, Paul, you're not under the law. You don't have to be under the law. You don't have to be a Jew anymore. And they would have been upset. But Paul said, I know I'm not under the law, but I will submit myself to the law if it might mean winning a Jewish person to Christ. And you can just hear the liberal wing of the church all upset. Verse 20, the conservatives get upset. Verse 21, the next one. He says this, To those who are outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul, what are you doing? What's the matter with you? You can't say these things. And then he says, So that I might win those outside the law. Now, Paul recognizes I'm never outside God's law. There are ways of living God has for me that I'm not going to break. But Paul says, whether under the law or out of the law, I'm going to adapt myself that I might win some to Jesus Christ. And I wrote this, this sentence to myself about Paul's attitude here. Paul gave up his personal preferences and privileges in order to persuade others to be Christ's followers. That's an important statement for us as a church. Are we willing to give up our personal preferences and privileges in Christ in order to gain others for Christ. And that's what we're talking about as we talk about becoming a bridge across which others might pass to find Jesus Christ. So that Paul's passion was to win people. Another indicator here, what did he want to win them to? He wanted to win them to Christ. Living so that people found salvation was Paul's goal. The message puts it like this. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And finally, this way of living brings blessing. In verse 23, at the end of this passage, Paul says, I've become, I've done everything possible so that someone else might know Jesus. And in the end, he says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's the reason Jesus came. So that I might share in its blessings. And there is a relationship between our going out and reaching others for Jesus Christ, winning them, to use Paul's word here, and the blessings we share as that happens. And so Paul says that another indicator here is a way of blessing. What is the business of the church? As you look at this passage with me, I think you can see, and we could go to other scriptures to um, emphasize this, you see Jesus came, what did he preach? He preached the good news. He preached that God was here, the kingdom has come. He handed that message off, if you will, to the apostles. And they were the foundation of the church. We could read the book of Acts. Then Paul was an example we looked at today. What did he emphasize? Preaching the gospel. Carrying on the message of Jesus Christ, which was given to the church at large after Paul and the apostles. And now it's given to you and me. And I want to go back to the question we started with, what is 
the business of the church. I've quoted before from this book. I think I'll probably quote again from it. It's a, a book about hospitality, and in this book, the Benedictine priest is talking about opening our hearts to people. And he says when we do that, we practice hospitality, but we also change. God works in our lives, and it's also painful. Uh, several, uh, maybe ten days ago, I was reading this uh, up in our prayer room very early in the morning in my own quiet time, and I read this paragraph, and then I'll tell you why I'm reading it now. When I was very ill, he's telling a story here. This is a, a friend of the priest. When I was very ill, it was necessary to receive frequent intravenous treatments, injections, blood tests, and many intrusive medical treatments. At first, I had the courage for it, but day after day, I lost courage until the day a small Korean woman, the head nurse, walked into my hospital room after several failed attempts to find a vein. I glared at her, pushed her hand away, and said, I can't take this anymore. The nurse nodded and held my hand, and we sat in the quiet for a minute or so. Then she said, I have just finished injecting medications into a permanent port in the belly of a 12-year-old boy who will probably die before the year is over. I could not do what I do weren't it for the fact that sometimes what I do saves a life. I extended my hand and gave her my vein. The author continues, No, it's not easy to give your vein. Even when you know it, for your, it's for your own good, you also know there's going to be pain involved. The things we'll do to avoid pain. There is a lot of pain that goes with relationships, and from some of it we never quite recover. But the pain you're carrying around, it can be used to save a life. It is not needless or pointless pain. No, you would not have volunteered for it but it could save a life, and that's worth it. When I read the words of that Korean nurse, I could not do what I do if it weren't that sometimes I saved a life. In a way that's very unusual to me, God spoke to me. I burst into tears. I cried a long time. And I said, God, forgive me. Forgive our church. Because so many times I'm just anxious to get the sermon done and get ready for Sunday. I just want to check off those lists of people I need to see and things I need to do and the budget I need to work on. And I'm just trying to keep up. And I don't stop to really think, is what I do about saving lives? And if I did, what difference would that make? And my friend, God spoke to me in that moment. And, and helped me to understand a little more clearly the gospel message which we have to present to others. And as we conclude this morning, I want to ask you to reflect and think about is what we do in church, whatever it is, about the saving of lives or something else? Is it about the saving of lives? Does it really matter that people hear and receive the gospel and come under the power of Jesus and be, begin to live a Christ-following life. So this morning as we wrap it up, 
I have some questions for you to reflect on in the next few minutes. And the question is, what is the business of the church? As a member of the church, what are you supposed to be doing in church? And then finally, are you willing to become a bridge across which others might pass to find Christ?